The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box, and these are your headlines. The EU planning fresh sanctions against the Belarus, and President Biden indicating he will follow suit as Western nations criticize the arrest and interrogation of journalist Roman Pratasevich. This is an attack on democracy, this is an attack on freedom of expression, and this is an attack on European sovereignty. And uh, this outrageous behavior needs a strong answer. A senior advisor to the country's exiled opposition leader tells CNBC the Belarusian KGB will not let him go easily, expressing grave concerns for Kretasevich's safety. And this is the harshest time. They're trying to get so much information as possible. They're trying to get into your social media accounts. They're trying to force you to tell something against yourself. So I'm really worried about his safety, about his health, and even about his life. U.S. markets get off to a strong start to the week. Inflation fears recede as tech stocks and reopening plays leave Wall Street higher. Bitcoin bounces back, jumping as much as 20% after Tesla CEO Elon Musk tweets about meeting with crypto miners to discuss sustainability. Plus, sources selling CNBC Amazon is nearing a deal to buy MGM Studios for as much as $9 billion, with an announcement potentially coming as soon as today. Well, we start uh, the program this morning on that unfolding story. The European Union has agreed on a raft of sanctions against Belarus after authorities forcefully diverted a Lithuanian-bound Ryanair flight to land in Minsk and detained the dissident journalist Roman Pratasevich. The EU's new restrictions will target specific entities and individuals with economic sanctions. Meanwhile, all EU carriers have been told to avoid flying over Belarus and the country's state airline will be banned from EU airspace and airports. Well, let's get to Sylvia, who has more on the ongoing reaction to this incident and whether these sanctions uh, will be increased going forward, Sylvia. Good morning, Jeff. So the EU had a lot of uh, possibilities on the table, and in the end, the 27 decided to use all of the tools that they had available at this stage. As you mentioned, there will be new economic sanctions against Belarus, but the EU also decided to step up the sanctions that have been in place since uh, last year in the aftermath of the presidential election. So more people, more individuals will be added to those ongoing sanctions already. And then when it comes to the aviation side of the story, as you mentioned as well, the uh, European-based carriers have been told to avoid overflying Belarus. 
And as well, uh, the 27 also decided to prohibit uh, the Belarusian airlines to fly over the European space and access European airports. So essentially, a very strong message from the European leaders. Uh, they essentially used all of the tools they had available. And this was their message at the press conference last night. Let's take a look. This is an attack on democracy. This is an attack on freedom of expression. And this is an attack on European sovereignty. And uh, this outrageous behavior needs a strong answer. Therefore, um, the European Council decided that there will be additional sanctions on individuals that are involved in the hijacking, but this time also on businesses and economic entities that are financing this regime. What happened yesterday is an international scandal. We are working on sanctions and sanctions will be on the table of the European Council. The lives of civilians and in particular European civilians have been endangered. It's a threat to international security, a threat to civil aviation, of which we are convinced that there must be a firm reaction to the events of yesterday. So this was a very strong message from the European leaders, which was already welcomed by the United States. But in fact, when the leaders were arriving in Brussels uh, yesterday, it was already clear that this was going to be the direction that they were going to take. The comments that we heard from Chancellor Angela Merkel, from all sorts of leaders, when they, di when they did arrive in Brussels yesterday, were very much pointing to this direction and to the fact that the EU was going to give as much of a strong response as it could at this stage. So now the question is about the detail. Let's wait for uh, the documents and the, that will be published in the coming days about these sanctions to understand how much and how deep they, they will actually be. But for now, the 27 responded together, which is a very important one when it comes to their foreign policy. We didn't see that on different uh, occasions in recent weeks. But the message from the 27 was indeed united and uh, strong. Sylvia, thank you very much for bringing us the latest. Well, Belarusian media have broadcast a video of detained journalist Roman Protasevich in which he admits to organizing anti-government protests. His allies say the remarks were made under duress. Speaking to Dan Murphy, our colleague, the senior advisor to Belarus's opposition leader, said he fears for Pratasevich's life. Unfortunately, no information coming from Minsk. Unfortunately, he still doesn't have lawyer, no information about his girlfriend, neither. We know that he was detained yesterday, and usually after the person is detained, he was brought to interrogation. And it could take uh, days, it could take even a week. And this is the harshest time. They're trying to get so much information as possible. They're trying to get into your social media accounts. They're trying to force you to tell something against yourself. So I'm really worried about his safety, about his health, and even about his life. Details about Roman's background are still emerging. You're very close with him. So what does the international community need to understand about this young man and who he, who he is? Uh, Roman is, is um, uh, the person, the disruptor, who was always challenging the regime. He was always against the dictatorship. He used to work in journalism. He used to be an activist. Uh, he was always fighting for justice. And um, he was the symbol of the, of the, the young person who disagrees with the, with the government, who wants changes. He was always very politicized and he gives example to many other young people that you should always fight, even if the situation is um, 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 pessimistic, even if nothing 
uh, happens. Even there is no hope, you still have to fight. So that's why you believe he was a key target for Lukashenko? Uh, exactly, exactly. But he's not the only one. Right now, there are 3,000 criminal cases open against young people, against journalists, teachers, doctors, everyone who uprised against the authoritarian rule last fall. But Rahman was one of the most vocal. And I think uh, the journalists, the reporters, they are the main targets for the regime right now. And you mentioned that you now have fears for his safety. What do you believe is happening to him? First of all, he was detained in the airport and directly taken to KGB. In Belarus, KGB is still called KGB. In Belarus, KGB, this is the place where people disappear. This is the place where people lose health and sometimes people are dying. A few days ago, another political activist died in prison. So again, let's hope for the best. I hope he is healthy and good, but I, I know for sure that KGB will not let, will not let him go um, uh, easily. US President Joe Biden says he welcomes the EU's decision to impose further sanctions against Belarus and suggested Washington could issue similar measures. In a statement, Biden said his administration would look to hold those responsible to account. Well, the US Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Belarus's decision to divert the Lithuania-bound flight amounted to a violation of peace in Europe. Um, this was a shocking act, diverting a flight between two EU member states for the apparent purpose of arresting a journalist. Uh, it constitutes a brazen affront to international peace and security by the regime. We demand an immediate, international, transparent, and cred cred credible investigation of this incident. Uh, we are in touch uh, with uh, a range of partners bilaterally and through multilateral channels from NATO, the OSCE, UN, EU, and others. Uh, and Joining us now, Katerina Shmatina, a fellow Belarusian, uh, a fellow of the Belarusian Institute for Strategic Studies. Thank you for giving us your time this morning. Um, obviously, we, we now have some idea of the sanctions that the EU intends to impose at this point. But given that we've had restrictions on this regime going back to 2004, and then ultimately we had this tightening of financial conditions last year after the election. What difference do you think this latest round of sanctions will make to the behaviour of Mr Lukashenko? Uh, indeed, the sanctions uh, have a long history uh, of relations between uh, EU and Belarus and with all the well, these cycles of distancing and rapprochement. And sanctions alone will not force Lukashenko to leave. But that would put additional pressure on him and his elites and the cronies to reconsider the, uh, the decisions, particularly the scale of sanctions. And uh, this particular incident with Rahman and the sort of hijacking of the Rainier flight uh, brings Belarus to spotlight of international attention. Uh, and this also uh, gives hope that the new package of sanctions would target uh, more precisely, Lukashenko chronic. I'm saying this because the previous sanctions uh, by EU, unfortunately, were not very uh, targeted and painful, and several companies managed to uh, conduct back-channel lobbying uh, in EU institutions and were crossed out at the last moment. 
Well, let me ask you, and and we'll persist with the conversation, even though the quality of the line is a little poor, but I think it's important to hear from you. Let me ask you then, in your opinion, this latest round of sanctions, does it go far enough? What would you like to see in addition that might enforce perhaps a change in the attitude and the mindset that we see from President Lukashenko? I wouldn't expect maybe that much from sanctions alone. What is more important is the joint coordinated action by uh, EU and US and launching all possible international mechanisms within UN and other institutions for human rights investigations uh, and other political actions that would uh, narrow Lukashenko's room for maneuvering and seek to um, make him to consider maybe negotiations after OEC. About safety concerns at this point, uh, a number of commentators have concerns for Patasevich. We've seen enormous efforts to go to, to capture him at this point and uh, an admission under what some fear may be duress about uh, his activities so far in organising opposition to the government. What is his future likely to be and what can we draw on given the other political prisoners in the past and what's happened to them? So prisoners, uh, those detained under administration and let alone political prisoners, they are kept in unbearable conditions. There are at least uh, 400 confirmed cases by UN institutions of uh, tortures. Uh, recent cases uh, where, um, as uh, Franak Vitarka uh, mentioned uh, earlier today, Vitalta uh, Shura, political prisoner, died in, uh, in prison for a number of reasons. Uh, also, there are several troublesome reports that that those detained are um, not provided proper health, uh, and uh, some uh, prisoners, Julia Smutska, director of press on Belarus, was in sight. Uh, others are denied doctor when uh, needed medical help, and this is done on purpose also to deteriorate the health of the detainees and to prevent other protesters from. Uh, sort of willing to get into the Texan sector and to go through the system when they're fighting for freedom on the streets or uh, in their their organizations. Um, I was looking at an article of yours from before this crisis, but of course, um, most recently, very pertinent, talking about sanctions and how sanctions alone will not force Lukashenko from office as well. In fact, the problem is, and, and you know this problem full well better than I do, that actually the harder that the EU is on this regime, the closer Lukashenko is going to get to Russia uh, and to Putin as well, which is almost the opposite effect of what a long-term EU approach of rapprochement ha- has actually wanted. The problem is, the harder the EU is, the closer it takes Lukashenko to Russia. Well, that is definitely a, uh, a good argument to consider. And it was uh, it was mentioned several times, maybe for during 26 years of Lukashenko's authoritarian rule. And uh, this is the argument Lukashenko is trying to sell to the West to avoid pressure and sanctions. Uh, I still believe that there is a room for possible maybe pressure that you uh, or even the negotiations that you could apply towards, uh, let's say, uh, Kremlin and, and talks about Belarus, Belarus uh, and, and Lukashenko's uh, sort of fate with Kremlin. 
I'm not talking about concessions. I'm talking about maybe possible uh, conversations. What what is the room for maneuvering? What are the conditions when uh, Kremlin could withdraw support from uh, from Lukashenko? Katyarina, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Good to hear from you. Katyarina Shmatsina, fellow of the Belarusian Institute for Strategic Studies. More on that story when we come back, of course. Also, uh, the world is not enough for Amazon as the technology giant edges closer to buying the rights to 007. We'll have more on that when we come back. And for more on the sanctions the EU is preparing for Belarus, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. A nice little bounce on Wall Street to start out the trading week. And uh, one of the big catalyst technology names, uh, including the likes of Microsoft, one of the big drivers for all three major indices, that stock pushing higher. Other big uh, fang names, uh, the likes of Apple, key player in the market rally that we saw yesterday as well. But a couple of big recovery names also supporting this market. So it was a little bit of everything, but you can see by the percentage gains, the Nasdaq had a 1.4% bounce versus the Dow, up half of a percent. That said, what we've had is a, a three-day rally on the Dow at this point, and going with those gains has been on the Russell 2K as well. So there have been a, a steady string of uh, green sets to play with at this point. And uh, when we take a look at these markets, we're still waiting it out for a little bit of inflation data later this week. That could roil the technology sector again. I don't think everybody's parked their fears aside about the valuations that exist in technology and just whether there could be more of a selling spree around the corner at some point if those concerns around interest rates going up sooner rather than later starts to return to the market. But at this stage, it was a, a calmer trade around those fang names and business names, but also around the high flyers. And you could see that in the uh, innovation fund uh, that we've tracked in the past arc, 2.7% uh, in session versus what you had, say, on the FANG stocks that are up 1.9%. Let's take a close-up look at those big tech names, and you can see the extent of that Microsoft rally, the 2.2% pop, uh, paced by the likes of Twitter, 4.7% on that stock. And Tesla, a very strong play there, as you can see, for the electric vehicle maker. And the dollar this morning, uh, this is how we approached across a range of currencies. Sterling is a little bit firmer, 141.77. We've seen a little bit of pop in uh, Euro trade versus the dollar as well. And effectively, we've drifted down to about a four-month low on the greenback of this point. Uh, stable versus the Japanese yen, a little bit weaker versus the Chinese currency. Asian markets uh, today uh, moving throughout the trading session, modestly firmer to, to stronger playing out uh, across the region. Australia's up at three quarters, 1%. You can see much higher ranges above 1% on the Chinese market and on Hong Kong at this stage. Uh, Chinese stocks are bouncing on financial services, consumer and tourism stocks in that morning trading session first up and it's carried on to the afternoon. The Japanese stock market, 148 points or half of a percent at this point. Steve. 
Thanks, Karen. Liberty Media Chairman John Malone has told CNBC the merged Warner Media Discovery Group could become the third biggest streaming company in the world behind Disney and Netflix. Malone added that he sees great upside for HBO Max and hailed AT&T's CEO. John Stanky showed a hell of a lot of courage in making this decision at this time because he, he found himself really chasing two capital-intensive, very competitive uh, rabbits. And I think his, his idea to uh, refocus AT&T on, on their primary traditional business and allowing other management to pursue with a different balance sheet uh, the direct consumer opportunity was a brave decision. Amazon is close to acquiring MGM Studios in a deal worth around $9 billion, sources tell CNBC. MGM Studios owns the James Bond franchise along with the Rocky Rocky, and The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, it comes as Amazon looks to build up its prime video content and increasing competition, of course, in the streaming sector. Confirmation of the deal is expected as soon as today. Meanwhile, shares in U.S. energy firms Cabot and Cimerex close lower after the pair agreed a merger to create an oil and gas company worth $17 billion. Shareholders of each will split control of the new entity almost in half. The deal combines Cimerex's significant holdings in West Texas oil fields with Cabot's shale positions in the northeast. Uh, and here in Europe, the German real estate giant Fenovia has agreed an 18 billion euro takeover of its uh, closest rival, Deutsche Wohnen, agreeing to pay 52 euros per share, an 18% premium on Friday's closing price. The tie-up, uh, which is backed by Deutsche Wohnen, followed a failed hostile takeover attempt uh, in 2016 and is expected to be completed in August. Sanjeev Gupta's Liberty Steel is looking to sell off some of its UK assets to pay off lenders, including Credit Suisse, as the company looks to restructure following the collapse of its main backer, Greensill. The Swiss lender has agreed to halt proceedings against Liberty Steel while it awaits the outcome of some of its refinancing efforts and further fallout. From the Greensill affair, Italy's banker Ifis has agreed to buy the healthy assets of Aegis Banker for one euro. It was one of the casualties of Greensill Capital's insolvency. The Bank of Italy ordered the transaction as well as the liquidation of some of the Milan-based lenders' other assets. EFIS is set to take on nearly 750 million euros in loans and customer deposits in a move it said would guarantee the continuity of finance to business and safeguard jobs. Just a couple of interesting angles on this story, I think. One obviously is the steamroller that is the green sill affair that is continuing to take down casualties. The other is the fact that 300 million euros of this was state-backed SME loans. So the guarantee is there anyway. It was just a question of who would end up with this portfolio. And the third thing is, this is a very new financial institution in Italy. And now it's being wiped off the map. Another reminder of how difficult it actually is to break into a very established banking system. And I guess the 
Italian banking Game of Thrones continues here as we see this sector still under pressure to consolidate. It's even had the, the term fintech attached to it in the past. So uh, clearly a, a challenger to, to some parts of the traditional banking community, as you described. What's interesting is how quickly it has been consolidated on the back of uh, a painful event. So you think about all of the uh, different uh, years we've covered Italian banks and whether they should be consolidated and the ones that have been under severe pressure. It's taken years to consolidate them. So this is a, a very rapid decision that's taken place. I, I think that's quite fascinating. But the point around the symbolic one euro that if it has paid for the bank, We've seen that in the case of uh, the likes of Santander over in Spain buying Banca Popular. Of course, they take on the debts and consolidate, but uh, buying a distressed asset at a time when it's uh, in the middle of an extreme challenge can often turn out to be uh, a good news event and uh, bolster the balance sheet of the acquirer, Steve. Uh, yeah, um, look, I, I don't know much about Aegis Banker, but I am relying heavily on the excellent reporting in the Financial Times now. Let me just get this straight from what the FT is reporting. GFG, Gupta's alliance group, finance, gets its financing from Greensill. Aegis then buys investment products or has investment products bulked up and packaged together, uh, purchased from Greensill. Gupta tries to buy stake in Aegis. Now, even if you've just followed me so far, viewers, it looks complicated, it looks convoluted and reminds me of the bad old days of Luxembourg where holding companies, you didn't know who owned what and what their relationship was. So you've got company A is financed by company B. Company C has investment products from company B. And then company A goes back in to buy a say in company C. Wow. I'm surprised the regulators haven't been on this one quicker. That's all I have to say. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.